Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pack Book Adventure along with Michael Molinari. Uh, it's a big day, guys. We got a producer and Hayden Gray. Hayden, welcome to the show, man. We appreciate that. Uh, but we overall, finally have a producer. Yeah, we finally have a producer, Michael. <laughs> hey, you are talent. You've made the shift. Congratulations. Wait, wait um, a minute. Yogi, you know my line. Talent is an assumption. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm an announcer. There we oh, go. I love it. I love it. Ted, um, you were in New York. You were Yankees Mets. You called the U.S. Open. What a crazy experience. We were in Arizona. That was a crazy experience. Not in a good way. Once the game started, everything up to that was amazing. So, uh, Ted, I'll start with you. Uh, have you been? Uh, what was it like being away from the footprint for a couple hours? And hearing all the things that went down a week ago. Well, look, we, look, we have a ton of stuff to talk about, so I won't take very long, um, because I'll, and I don't want to step on the headlines, but I will just say one thing because you touched it. Being in New York, so Saturday I worked uh, U.S. Open Women's Final, that I went to the Yankees Mets game, but then by midnight I was in the hotel bar where I was staying in New York watching football. And at 1:15 or 1:30 in the morning, there were six different Pac-12 teams playing. In the third quarter at 1.15 a.m. in the Eastern time zone. So I would just suggest that that is very unhelpful. How's that? To the Pac-12 brand. Um, I think that the phrase Pac-12 after dark needs to be completely retired. It will never again utter from my lips. I understand somebody was trying at some point to make a cutesy thing about selling this. It's not good for the Pac-12 brand. And I just lived it again. It, it was terrible quite bluntly, to have Stanford USC be shunted to a second cable channel for the first half of the game uh, and then come on at, you know, the main Fox at 1230 in the morning in the Eastern time zone. By the way, the Eastern Central time zone is about 60 to 65 percent of the population. So I would just think that when the next round of television deals happen, that uh, the new commissioner will lead a charge that will, and you're never going to completely eliminate the late night stuff, but minimize it minimize it and to have six teams playing at the same time is in the late window that doesn't exist in two-thirds of the country is just unhelpful yeah I, I, that's fair that's glad fair. ted was being brief by the way uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. all right so uh something that was brief and that was unexpected was clay helton's tenure in 2021 lasted two games uh i just got the phone with clay i'll tell you guys what we talked about here in a second uh we called his final win as a head coach in week one against San Jose State. They lose to Stanford uh, in a way that I don't think anybody saw coming after both of their respective performances week one. But Clay Helton's let go. We spent a ton of time with him over his career at SC when he was coaching quarterbacks as the head coach. Uh, Michael, I'll start with you because I think it's a unique lens as a producer. Um, I know you're talent on this show, but when we're calling games, um, on a serious note, though, what, what, what was your takeaway from Clay getting let go and what's your takeaway on Clay before we spin it forward? Well, interestingly enough, um, I went to my first uh, coaches dinner, it's now called, where all the coaches and ADs and uh, television people get together before media day. Um, and the, one of the persons I ended up sitting next to was Clay Elton. And it was, I thought I knew him pretty well, but after that 90 minute dinner, I just had even more respect for how how personal a person he is and how he treats everybody with respect and i think the key to a person is how do you treat people 
that you don't have to treat well. And I think Clay Helton, from anyone who walked into those meetings, everybody felt important. Everybody felt respected. And you can say what you want about his, you know, his abilities as a football coach, but, and you've seen it all over social media and you've seen it from everyone who talks about him. The man himself is just, he's just a great man and a great role model for uh, the people he leads. So, um, and that's my take on Clay Elton. Ted, when you saw this news yesterday, because it happened fast, Clay found out around 1.30, the press release came out around 2.00. Uh, or whatever it was, it was it was quick. What, what did you think? It never leaked. I thought about it as I was watching some of the game live very early Sunday morning. And then I watched Sunday night when I got back home to my house here in California. And I watched the second and third quarters of the game. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I've said this to both of you guys uh, a few years back. We had a game in Eugene where Utah went into Oregon and hung up like 60 something points. And I remember I said it to you, Yogi, at the time. I said, Mark Helfrich won't survive that. And it, there's, there's just certain things in college football, you can't have certain things happen on your home field. You can have them happen on the road once in a while and survive, not at home. And that game, as I was watching this game Saturday night, that's what I was thinking. You, you can't have this happen at the LA Coliseum. And then, of course, you, Sunday morning, for those who still go online or, or, as I do, read the paper, you read the LA Times main columnist. And that brought me back to the famous Lyndon uh, Johnson line when he was president about uh, his advisors came in when Walter Cronkite went on the air and ripped the Vietnam War. And they told him, Mr. President, if you've lost Cronkite, you've lost the country. And I felt that way for Clay, sadly, Sunday morning, if you've lost the LA Times, you've lost the battle. So expiration date, yes. Parcells, you are what your record says you are, yes. The other little quick thing I would say, to me, USC had made such traction in recruiting. Yogi, you know this, you follow this way more closely than I do, but you know, they had made traction in recruiting and starting to keep Southern California kids home. The commissioner of the PAC 12 was in Columbus Saturday talking about that very thing, right? Keeping players home. Stanford has a huge Southern California presence. They're a national school, but they recruit very strongly in Southern California. So you kidding me what Stanford does on that field Saturday night? That affects recruiting too. So I think that was another, had to be an element in what USC was thinking. Yeah. All right. Again, it's a uh, Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 adventure brought to you by our friends at Bet River Sportsbook. Um, I don't think anybody would have bet Clay Helton would have gotten fired after week two. But here's the deal. Um, after talking to people at USC, just for context, for everybody listening, when Mike Bone came in two years ago, I remember it. I hosted their end of the season banquet. It was right when he got the job. Season ended, I think they finished eight and four, and he took 11 days to decide Clay Helton's future and evaluated the program and saw that the program was limited regarding its resources when you compared it to its standard. So they poured into the, res the resource side. USC went from low 30s to mid 40s from a staffing standpoint. I just did a study, I shared the document with you guys, Georgia, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma's support staff. SC finally matches that. It was dramatically lower. So when they saw the first two weeks of the season, they said, you know, it didn't match. The performance didn't match the resources given to the program. And they made the call to, to remove Clay Helton as head coach. Now, a couple of things on that. One, uh, I didn't. I don't mind the move now because Clay would have been asked about his job all season long. It just would have been it. 
So I think the administration, they weren't happy with the play on the field, but they also said, you know, let's eliminate this as a distraction and let's let this team go compete for a South championship. Because let's remember everybody who asked, who stated that Clay should be fired, probably also voted for USC to win the South in terms of media members. So they still, they have a ton of talent. And I think it's fair to say it, right? So I think now with uh, Dante Williams leading the charge, they eliminate the distraction, see if this team could go play at the level of expectation. Uh, so I, I thought it was early, but I understand the reasoning behind it. I thought by week after Utah, heading into the Notre Dame game, after the Notre Dame game, if they lost that game, felt like a change would happen. Uh, but they made it when they made it. Just got off the phone with Clay Helton prior to the show, and he was classic Clay Helton. He said, you know what? And I'm paraphrasing. I'm so thankful that I had the job. Like, what an opportunity. Like, it's not lost on him. And we've talked to many coaches when they get fired. Salty, I got hosed, whatever. He was like, it's the profession, man. Like, it's the business. I get it. I signed up for it, and I'm going to keep coaching. I'm going to keep uh, being a servant leader to young men was his exact line to me. Uh, and I asked him, I said, you going to go just gonna shut it down for a little bit? He goes, no, I'm going to go coach again. But in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go to that famous spot he told us about two weeks ago. He's going to go down to his spot in Florida, see his family, relax. And I say it of like, in a sport that has minimal perspective, Clay Helton has some perspective on the craft. And I appreciated that, getting off the phone with him less than 24 hours after he got fired. Real, real quick, I'll just throw this in. Uh, when he got the job, Pat Hayden, I had a professional relationship with Pat from NBC days. Um, and he told me bluntly, the players wanted him. And the players who at that time had lived through the erratic instability of Sarkeesian and Kiffin hadn't been prior to that, hadn't worked out either. And Pat Hayden felt that that was huge to him. Now, I mean, we can second guess that decision all day long. That's fine. But I'm just saying that speaks to Clay Helton. Yeah. was that the players on that team went to Pat Hayden. They wanted him to have that job. Um, the other thing that I, I would say, I, I agree with a lot of what's been said in Los Angeles about it, but one thing in the, the memory banks run a little bit low on the, the Pete Carroll aura, and Pete Carroll was magnificent at USC, but there was an aftermath. Yeah. And the aftermath, which people forget about, were the sanctions and as, as you said, the resources for the program, but you can remember, I don't know if it was me, I think, uh, Michael, you and I were there in Boulder. I think uh, it was before Yogi was with us. We did a game when Ed Orgeron was the interim, and I'm on mm -hmm. the sideline with Pat Hayden during the USC warmup in Boulder, and he's pointing out that kid's a walk-on, this kid's a walk-on. It's a road game. You can only travel 60 or 65. They've got walk-ons playing. This was the So this is what Clay Helton you know, inherited the aftermath of that. So I think memory bank about the greatness of the Carroll era, we tend to remember the greatness and we forget that there was a price that was paid at the end. 100%. I, mean, I just told this to, uh, and I think it surprised him. I was just on Jim Rome's show earlier today. I said, hey, Jim, since 1980, outside of Pete, there's been five double-digit win seasons in USC football. Clay had two of them. Mm -hmm. So the standard by the fans, which is always a little absurd, uh, is still absurd when you just look at reality of what's going on. Uh, but here, here's what I think for the fans um, and for USC football. This is what I think you need. Um, I kind of did a brain dump last night. I think, number one, you need someone with incredible character to come in here. No sketchy past. I don't think you can hire anybody in that regard for the next head coach. I think, two, um, not just recruiting, but you have to be likable as a personality. You don't need to uh, – 
you know, wave, you know, kiss, kiss babies and do all this crazy stuff. But you have to have a personality. I don't think you can be Bill Belichick and say, I'm just going to do X's and O's. Like you have to have a vibe about you to operate in this community, be embraced by this alumni, the donors. There's a lot to that, in my opinion. I think that's necessary. And then three, which um, I don't know if I've shared this with you guys, but I think you need a head coach who is an expert in one side of the ball. Because if you're good, because that's the standard, you should be good. You're going to lose your coordinators. So you need an identity on offense or defense. I mean, you can count on less than a hand how many special teams coordinators are head coaches or coaches who've never head coaches who've never called a play have had success, right? Dabo is the best of all time. He was a receiver coach, interim guy, became a rock star. PJ Fleck, he's another guy. But there's not many in Power Five football, especially at Blue Blood Jobs, that were just good with the media that got the job. So I think those are three huge sides uh, to the next hire, whomever the head coach is. All right. Can I, I, you can't see that shoot. I was going to do that, that old guy on ESPN from Denver that does the holds up the chalkboard thing, whatever. That right. Identity. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You said the magic word. And that's the last note I wrote down to talk about USC. Um, And you all know how I feel about the air raid. Uh, And so now you have a lame duck situation this year and they didn't change the coordinator. It's probably, I'm guessing Yogi, you can't really change the offense now. It's too late. No. But USC has to step forward and declare what its identity is. It's hard for me to believe that they're going to hire a new coach, whomever that is, that's going to play air raid football. So therefore, you're playing out the year. Ten more games in a completely lame duck system. What's that going to do? Slovis, this past Saturday, looked to me like he's going backwards, sadly, because this kid as a freshman walked in there and you were going, wow. And the way he played against Stanford Saturday night was not the same guy. I had seen. So is that the air rate? It just, it, to me, it's not USC. So whatever happens going forward for USC, I just feel it's essential that they declare this is what USC football is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We'll, we'll move on in a second. I, I think on Wait, the this is in Woody Page. Thank you. That's what the Thank announcers you. do. Thank a you. good producer helped me out with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Hayden. You're killing it for us, man. Um, I, I think the last thing on the identity front, um, you know, SC went under center. They had a quarterback sneak in the Stanford game, right? Things we haven't seen in a couple of years. They're not going to get in the wishbone or I formations all day long. But to your point, Ted, I think, I believe this. I don't think you can be all or nothing as a system. I think you have to take pieces of systems. Like, you know, everybody's going to run a, a couple air raid concepts. Everybody's going to run a couple West Coast offense concepts. Some people are going to run a run and shoot concept. But to your point, like none of that matters to me. It's what are we going to be? We're going to be a physical team at the point of attack. We're going to – that is the thing that, um, yes. yeah, you and I are both talking about. And, and Yogi, real quick, so Michael, look, let's morph into Oregon because that's the other yeah. huge story. Look at what Oregon did Saturday. You watch that game and you watch what Joe Moorhead schemed. I mean, Anthony Brown played awfully nice football. I'm going to tell you, I could have completed some of those passes. He schemes guys that are so wide open. And, and, and I'm going to say it because it's, it's, it's true. I watched this when Kyle Shanahan went to the San Francisco 49ers. It didn't matter that he had subpar talent relative to his opponents. Yeah. He schemed in a 4-12 season. San Francisco had people wide open, which in the NFL never happens. That's what I was thinking. And I was watching Oregon Saturday. And that's what you don't see with USC. That's what I'm trying to say. 
So how is Joe Moorhead able to do this at Oregon and completely out scheme a pretty good coaching staff at Oregon State? Or at Ohio yeah. State, I'm sorry. Yeah. And on that note, uh, Ohio State, Ryan Day just came out earlier today. It's Tuesday and talked about how they're making schematic changes on defense coming out of that game yeah. to his staff. Uh, so, so with that said, I want to just tell everybody a little bit about our new partners at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, it is the time now. They're offering you a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But as we know, what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. They got a new pay rush instant approval element to their business. And withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable than ever before. So heading into week three, get in on the action. Go to BetRivers.com. Right now, or download the BetRivers iOS app. Of course, got to be 21 years or older. And if you're struggling with gambling problems, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, most gamblers probably didn't take Oregon without Kayvon Thibodeau, without Justin Flo. Michael, um, I'm curious, your thoughts of, of what you saw from that team early on in the game? Because we, I think we all would have given them a pass if they lost that game with the loss of players that they had in the pregame. Well, I think the defensive line of Oregon played with a chip on their shoulder that it's not just Kayvon Thibodeau. It's it were more than just Kayvon Thibodeau. And I think they came out with, they just set very similar to what UCLA did the week before they set our line on both sides is going to compete with this other power five team that the narrative is the PAC 12 line on both sides can't. And I think they established that early. And to me, it was, it was actually late in the first half, the fourth down play where they get the touchdown. They go for it on fourth down. I went back. I was watching the Fresno tape last night. The Anthony Brown deciding touchdown was also fourth down. So Oregon has come up huge on fourth down offensively. And they, I think they believe that we can get it done on fourth down. And then they stopped Ohio State on a key fourth down, which was kind of the moment they needed, I think, later in the game. So the line play and the confidence on fourth down has been, to me, the key for Oregon early on. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the thing that I took away from that game was twofold. One, it's Mario Cristobal, right? It, there's a lot of chatter in the league of, like, coaches, when you coach, when you vote for uh, all-conference awards or Coach of the Year awards, like, Oregon doesn't get a lot of play. Uh, to me, Mario Cristobal, early in the season, Coach of the Year. And it ain't close because of how he got his team to prepare on the road they took it to Ohio State early on. They weren't hesitant. You know, the win got – Ashley Adamson was at the opener against Fresno. She said when Kayvon went out, you could feel the team deflate. This team didn't flinch. Point number two, Joe Moorhead. He was our GA at Pitt when I was a freshman. And every stop he's been along the way, I've talked to the head coach when he was the coordinator, and they've all said I've never been around anybody smarter in my career. So whether it was at Akron or Penn State, and then he was a head coach at Fordham for almost a decade – this guy's unique and you watch him call the game and Ted, you're right. He was a half a step ahead of Ohio state. And when Ohio state came back, I, I had a friend of the game. He said, I, I couldn't hear the person sitting right next to me. They, they got comfortable. They were okay. It's when that game should turn to the Buckeye side and it didn't. So some major props to that staff. Of course, they have Stony Brook this weekend. Uh, I'd imagine that they roll and they should in that ball game. Right, that's going to be on the Pac-12 networks at 4:30. Um, tune in for stories, but the game might be over by five. 
uh, at least I'd anticipate elements of that regard. And it should be. And they got to get healthy. They got a lot of injuries at the linebacker and their defensive front position. Yogi, uh, so, do you know where Stony Brook is? Of course. Yeah. Is that Molinari's backyard? Where? Uh, Upstate where. New York. No. Well, oh. No. It's it North, Shore Long, North Shore Long Island. Yeah. Oh, Long Island. But right, to right. a New Yorker, that's upstate New York, by the way. I thought it was upstate. Um, uh, Oneonta, Syracuse, Central New York. We're not even, we don't even call ourselves upstate, but my God, you get to Poughkeepsie and a New Yorker says it's upstate. But anyway, go ahead, Yogi. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for those kids at Stony Brook. It's a good experience. Stay safe, get, the, get a great experience in, and, and keep it moving in your season. All right. With that said, uh, let's spin it forward. First win of the season, Oregon State. They beat Todd Graham and Hawaii. I watched that game yesterday. They rolled and then had to withstand a comeback late. Chance Nolan is the guy there. Ted, thoughts? He looked – that's what I was – I watched half the game. B.J. Baylor runs nicely, one fumble, which they need to eliminate. But Chance Nolan, after taking over for Neuer in week one, Chance Nolan looks pretty comfortable running Jonathan Smith's offense. Yeah, I'd agree Thir- with that. 13 straight completions to start the game. And, mm-hmm. and all – accurate throws mm-hmm. not not receivers like doing great things for those 13 straight they just hit them right in the numbers where you know i know yogi if they can touch it they can catch it but these passes were very catchable passes yeah and i love that young man um because he wasn't even considered in the conversation for the job you know and he's got a great story he was with our boy tony franklin at middle tennessee state <laughs> as a freshman Oh, that yeah, is and then left, went to JC. <laughs> is he in the video? And, no. Yeah, and, and then went to JC and then finds his way there. Then has the greatest play in recent history with a quarterback sneak to beat Oregon in the former game titled the Civil War. And then he's the third string guy and he wins the job. Like when we call it Oregon State game, we're going to wax this kid's story. It's, it's going to be good. Um, all right, let's kind of rip through each team here uh, before we get out of here. Uh, Michael, uh, Arizona State, it looks good in the numbers. Uh, it didn't look great early. Played Marcus Arroyo. Uh, they won that game a little sloppy, and now they go to a team that's trying to be three and zero against the Pac-12 BYU. South in BYU. That's right. Yeah, I'll tell you. First half they didn't show up. Second half played pretty well. The numbers that it's a good news, bad news. Jane Daniels 125 yards on the ground, but only 175 yards through the air. We've been saying it since the first Thursday we did their first game of that Thursday night. They've got to establish a passing game. They haven't really done it yet, and they better figure something out when they go to Provo because BYU is is looking really, really good. But it'll be a great test for them for sure. Yeah, and big props to Kalani Sataki. To me, he should be in consideration for the USC job. Wow. I really believe that, uh, what he's done there. We've known him for a long time. So let's spin it to his former employee, his mentor. He beats in Kyle Winningham, first time in a decade. They snapped a nine-game streak. And here comes Utah. They got to come to Carson, which you're not going to say ever again after the season in college football. San Diego State, Ted, the Utah Utes, Charlie Brewer, turn the ball over again. Some of your takeaways with that team. Yeah, that was the first. I watched the first half of that game. In the first two possessions, you have a pick and then a fumble. The the running back that seems to be in the lead in that Utah competition, not the guy we thought, Pledger from Oklahoma, but. Tavian Thomas, but he fumbles for the second straight week. And again, you know, you know, very few coaches tolerate one fumble, maybe two fumbles. That's a hard one. So that put them behind the eight ball right away. And they never really, you know, I was, I was watching to see and expect the really good things from Charlie Brewer and they never really got going, but those two early turnovers seemed to take a lot of momentum out. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, I'm going to hit Colorado and Arizona real quick. Colorado, it's a loss, but I'm going to give you the congrats. Uh, you have to, right? They're in that game. Got just one more play. Uh, I like that they went for it on fourth down earlier on the ball game. Everybody said, in hindsight, maybe kick the field goal. I like the aggressive nature of Carl Durrell. Uh, they kick it off against uh, Minnesota, P.J. Fleck, right? Row the boat. Ryan McGrady, our guy at Stanford now. He used to work for him. Um, remember that one year? Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Minnesota struggled. They lost one of their better players. I like Colorado in this game early. I think uh, they get a win, and I think they're going to be a scary team to play. Their defense and Nate Lamon. Beat story. by the wheel route, Yogi. Beat it's hard when you route. get beat by the wheel route. That's my thought oh, on that game. Amen. Uh, Arizona, they got beat by everything, uh, and they're going to start a new quarterback. We were there for that one in person. So much excitement. It was awesome. Pre-game, it felt like Pac-12 championship game. Like it was, the vibe was so good. And then, man, four, four plays in, you saw this defense that uh, they look slow. They look a step behind. Physically, they were challenged, and they were making a quarterback change. In comes Will Plummer. They talked about Jordan McLeod getting reps this week. I think that's going to be Arizona. They're going to have to figure it out. There's a lot of moving pieces there for Jed Fish as they head into a game I'd like to think they could win against Northern Arizona. Hopefully they get to break that streak. It's been over 700 days, Ted. Um, all right, so uh, Stanford, we're going to be there next week against UCLA, who we have this week. Ted, you watched Stanford SC. Uh, UCLA was off. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two teams before we turn it over to Michael for the Humanity Moment of the Week? Yeah, St Stanford mystery uh, in that why they chose to play the two quarterbacks in week one. When McKee, look, we all did, we did the spring game, Yogi. We thought McKee was, you know, certainly has the upside. McKee was the guy. And uh, it'll be a question maybe we'll, we'll kind of uh, let David try to answer that next week, David Shaw. But, uh, but McKee looked good. And I am one of those people, I admit, I have a little bit of a conspiracy theorist background. I believe just like Oregon did for sure. Often it happens in college football. When you know you have a big game in week two, you hold things back, right? Yogi, I'm sure you, this a pit. I believe Stanford had to hold a lot of things back in week one to save knowing how big the USC game is for them uh, every year. And that was great to see. I mean, that looked like Stanford. And, and to me, it was their, that their defense rose up a little bit. And, you know, I was, I was concerned about that after watching them play in 2019 and then watching the first week against Kansas state. And, uh, and, you know, UCLA, uh, as we talked, well, USC, we've already covered that. The only thing I would, I would offer again in, uh, in repeat with USC is I hope wherever this thing goes under Dante Williams and the staff the rest of the year that, they, that there's a way for Slovis to get back to become the player that we had seen him previously because we haven't seen that the first two weeks of this year. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think for Stanford, it's going to sound bold but I don't think it's that bold. Their skill position players might be the best in this league at receiver through two games. Hmm. Elijah Higgins, John Humphreys, all the running backs, they look good, right? Uh, you're a, ben, you're a second tight end. They look good. I just, what we saw, uh, Tanner McKee made some plays, made some throws. I said it many times. I think next year he's the face of the league. I think Stanford's going to take a run here. Mark it down. I can't wait to get there in two weeks. We have the UCLA-Stanford game on the farm at three o'clock on the Pac-12 networks. Uh, and then speaking of UCLA, I was just at practice this morning. Uh, this, this is a real team. They're focused around a bye week, their willingness to go work. They're not taking Fresno State lightly. 
uh, I can't wait to call this game because Fresno State is, and we talked to Jay Kaner last night. They know the opportunity they had at Oregon and they have uh, this weekend. So with that said, um, I want to uh, give you one more ad before we get into Michael uh, and we get into the humanity moment of the week. But I want to make sure I let you know about the Field of 12 media. It's, it's really cool if you start tracking the Field of 12 on social media. It's a brand new podcast and digital media network covering college football by people who know it best. And it's really fun to watch all the content. It's brought to you by Shoot Your Shot Productions. They're the same folks behind the Field of 68 in basketball. In the Field of 12, it gives you insight into the game we love by the people who have lived it, like Trevor Knight and Bryce Petty. They got the Big 12 on lockdown, and I'm sure they're covering some other teams that are about to enter the Big 12. Joshua Perry, Christian Hackenberg, they have the Big 10. Uh, that's going to be interesting. A lot of dialogue around James Franklin right now, of course, in the USC job. Max Starks, Clint Sterner, they have the SEC. Uh, LSU bounces back. Eddie O beats his son last weekend, which was an interesting storyline. Uh, and we have Harry Douglas and Cody Sensenbaugh on the A. CC hailed a pit ticket to the SEC in Tennessee. Shout out to my Panthers. And of course, we got you every single week. Go to source, the source in Pac-12 football. So check out all the links below to find the rest of our shows. Field of 12, where college football happens. So Michael, make it happen in our Humanity Moment of the Week. Well, Yogi, you mentioned uh, being on the field about an hour before the game at Arizona, which I'm never normally on the field at that time, but because of some things I'll get to in a minute, I wasn't able to meet Coach Fish on Friday in our normal production meeting. And uh, by the way, Coach Fish and his staff let us uh, put a mic on him the entire game, and we were able to use some of it. Obviously, seven minutes in that game, things turned really south, and uh, you know, weren't able to use much of it after that. But the thing I learned by listening, because you know, we can hear obviously not everything goes on the air. Uh, great leaders are ones that lead when things aren't going well. And we definitely got a sample of the calm focus of Coach Fish when things weren't going well. So I, I just see great things on the horizon for him and that team. But anyway, back to why I was on the field with you, with your DJ friend, one hour to kick. Um, uh, I was at the Eagle's Nest at LAX, which is where the American regional jets take off from. And we were running a little late and I was a little nervous. Oh, I'm gonna make the meeting. Coming in, I'll land 20 minutes to the meeting, but it's quick to Tucson Airport. We get on the plane. We take off. Great. Got enough time. We go straight. We keep going straight. And I'm like, where's our left? We always take a left. We're going, that's what you do when you take off at LAX. All of a sudden, the pilot gets on and says, attention, everyone. We'll be returning to LAX. We have a landing gear malfunction. And that's all he says at first and pauses. And I got to tell you, you look around, you look at the flight attendants and they're not making that calm face they normally do. There's some people nervous. And what I always do whenever there's a situation like that, I think of my grandpa, John Reby, who was an aeronautical engineer who worked at uh, NASA when it was called NACA in Langley, Virginia. If you've seen Hidden Figures, my grandfather was probably in that room as John Glenn was taking the test flights. And so... Yeah, I, I thought back in those three seconds before the pilot spoke again, it was like a player who everything slows down. So much went through my mind in those three seconds, sitting in his porch with uh, hundreds of airplane models he had, thinking of the Airstream that he took us, uh, you know, we went camping at Meadowville campsite and at, at those campsite and on the lake where he eventually uh, moved to, we'd have talks about 
how does an airplane fly? And I actually knew how an airplane flew. And I kind of knew the basics of it. We never had a conversation, how does the airplane land without wheels? But luckily, we didn't have to have that. But anyway, the thing he always said to me was, the drive to the airport is the most dangerous thing about your airplane flight. And I always have that on the back of my mind when something goes a little awry. So anyway, after what seemed like about 10 minutes of things running through my head, the pilot said maybe the most important thing of the weekend. Folks, the malfunction is the landing gear is locked in the down position. So <laughs> of, of the two options, that was the best. We turned around. We touched down safely at LAX. We walked down the, uh, walked down the terminal and 30 minutes later, took off again on our way to Tucson. Everything was great. Had an awesome weekend. And, you know, the two best things about the weekend, I got to med, meet Jed Fish on the field. But I also learned after, uh, you know, 10 years after my grandfather gone that he's still there for me when I need him. So that was, that was a good humanity lesson for me this week. And Ted, Ted, I know you have a little more, so please. Well, well, like, look, I mean, that that's Mike. That's a moving story. And having, I think, any of us who fly a lot, we've all had similar moments like that of those kind of uh, shaken things. So that's a wonderful story. I, I'll, I promise, you can clock me on this Molinari. I'll be fast. <laughs> um, uh, last Saturday, obviously, you guys were in Tucson. I was in New York. It was 9-11, the 20th anniversary. Uh, I'm an adult Californian, but I'm a born and raised New Yorker. Uh, Saturday night, I went to the Mets-Yankees game at City Field. They did a, about a 30-minute pregame ceremony. I, I was I had tears running down my cheeks. It was the most extraordinary experience of, of, of the pride of New York. Uh, I was so proud of, of the two teams that were involved, of everybody from New York that showed up. Uh, it was a moment where I wished that all of the, uh, the politicians we've elected to D.C. could be there to feel it, that all of the cable parrots and talk show parrots that feed into the divisiveness that infects too much of our country could have been there to feel it. It was, uh, it was New York's finest being honored by New York at its finest. And it was such a moment of pride. That's awesome. I love that. All right. Well, this podcast is always a moment of pride for us. Uh, always flies by way too fast. We'll be back next week. This is the spot. If you want it, Pac-12 football, Michael, Ted, myself, and now Hayden, our new producer, Michael, officially on the talent side. Uh, well, we got you. No, on a serious note, we appreciate all the support. Share with your friends. And if you got any questions, hit us up on social media. We'll dive into it as we kick off a little bit of conference play this weekend with SC and Washington State. All right, fellas. Talk to you soon. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.